Smartcast. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up? Welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host, Iris, and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a movie from 2022, a Netflix original, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. So what's better? Pinocchio in the Uncanny Valley. And then I have Drunkenstein. <laughs> and then I have, oh, I, I get that it's uh, fascism and Mussolini, but there's a nice ring to Pinazio. Wow. I guess we'll stick with the original because, if anything, this was definitely Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. It might have even veered at times into Tim Burton's Pinocchio territory. Mm, I can see that. I think that this has potential Nightmare Before Christmas classic status. I guess. For who? Who embraces Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? Is it 100-year-old Italian expats? That's very specific. Who loves this Pinocchio? Who is it for? Is it for kids? It's for families. It's not for Wesley, apparently. His son burned to death, so he made an eminently burnable son. He was in a church that was bombed. I don't think that's the same thing. Right. So you'd think he'd make a fireproof son with the assistance or the advice of Sebastian J. Cricket. What are you going to do? Geppetto's a woodcarver. He is the worst woodworker in Italy. Um, Subjective. He's highly creative. (laughs) Wow, you're just coming out of the gates swinging, Wes. Team Italia, World Police. Team Italia. Yeah, so that's a reference to Team America, which you didn't see, which is marionettes. Oh, right. That was um, that was South Park, guys. Yep. Matt Stone and the other dude. Trey Parker. So you know that we've discussed Guillermo del Toro at length, most recently in Nightmare Alley. My favorite movie of 2021. And I have kind of, I take issue with this dude, and I don't know why. His movies don't jibe with me. By all accounts, Guillermo del Toro is the nicest dude in Hollywood. First thing anyone has to say about him is that he's so kind, he's patient, he's collaborative. He's just a wonderful person to be directed by. And I just, I'm sorry, Guillermo del Toro. I don't know. That doesn't doesn't make for a, a good movie. It's not a reason to cast the movie aside. It's just Pinocchio was a tough sell for me, man. 
I mean, obviously, I've seen Disney's Pinocchio, the original one, a number of times, and it informs pretty much my entire conception of Pinocchio. It's not that I was resistant to someone doing something different. I was just resistant to people, someone doing something worse. Oh, wow, worse. I have to admit that I was waiting like the entire time for Gregory Mann to, to like bust out with, I have no strings on me. Yeah. But he never did. But other than that, I almost was able to completely forget Pinocchio from 1940, which we grew up watching. Sure. And some of the elements of which I had forgotten about entirely. Not entirely, because we go to Disneyland and you see Monstro at the head of Storybook Land. You know, there's a Pinocchio's daring journey. But the island of misfit toys or braying donkeys or whatever. I kind of almost forgot about that. Here, it's like a Hitler youth camp. I mean, it's not Hitler mm-hmm. yet. It's Mussolini, but it's like a Mussolini mm-hmm. fascist youth camp. Yep. And and I was waiting for the whale, which wasn't a whale at all. It was a fish. It was sort of all over the place because we were supposed to love this Pinocchio, this boy who was never a boy. He was modeled after a boy. And even when he became a boy, he was still a wooden boy. But in the beginning, he was this arachnid apparition who destroys his workshop and scares everybody. But then he's like widely accepted. And he like crawls out of there and the fascist captain dude is like, who controls you, wooden boy? And you're like, that's awfully accepting of some random wooden dude. It's like devilry. And an undisciplined wooden child must go to school. And it's like, wait, you're not going to take issue with the fact that he's obviously a wooden demon come to life? Well, I think they accept a lot of magic in this world. They live with monkey ventriloquists who can also control <laughs> yeah. puppets. And they live with... Can't speak English at all. It's like, ooh, ooh, until it's time to put on the puppet show. And then he's throwing his voice <laughs> in dialects. <laughs> right. And so that he accepts him. Well, so he he looks past the fact that he's a breathing, he's a living, talking, magical wooden boy. He sees him as the super soldier that he could be. Yeah, they have the war parable pretty firmly in place. And then I think they kind of drop it as time goes on. Once Christoph Waltz bites the dust and the other dude, then they're like, oh, no, it's time for the magical Steven Spielberg level Pinocchio again. Oh, that's right. He thumps on the rock before Spazzatura goes into the water. You remember the monkey's name. Of course. Spazzatura played inexplicably by Kate Blanchett. <laughs> and like, yet the, so the biblical style angel, griffin type angel thing, the blue fairy, as Kelly Ray reminded me, was the case. And I was like, oh, right, that's from Pinocchio. It was referred to as the blue fairy there, but here it's death, the wood sprite and death. You're right. Okay, so they show up on screen and begin to speak in a never-ending story, oracle type of voice. And I was like, oh, Kate Blanchett, that's cool. Like, as she was in Nightmare Alley with, you know, the Guillermo del Toro film. And so she then she played, like, the tw- the sprite and the angel. What was it? The demon? The death? Yeah, basically just death. Her sister. All right. So they're sisters, and they're both Kate Blanchett. And I was like, that's pretty cool, because she does have a Galadriel glowing kind of voiceover thing happening. I was like, right on. And we get to the end, and I was like, wait, that wasn't Kate Blanchett? She was the <laughs> monkey and Tilda Swinton, who I mean who granted played the White Queen in Narnia, was She also wo- played she also played Gabriel in Yeah, Constantine, another biblical angel, I guess. But it was very confusing that Kate Blanchett confusing. was not the voice and was indeed the monkey. <laughs> was it Kate Blanchett doing the puppet voices? <laughs> I mean, it didn't sound like her, but 
that was supposedly Spazatura. Right. It was as, as weird a misappropriation as George Clooney being like, I love South Park. I want to be on South Park, guys. Reached out and contacted Trey Parker and Matt Stone, and they were like, great. And they gave him a role as the barking dog, as like Yippie <laughs> or whatever. And he's like, arf, arf, arf. And it was like the dog played by George Clooney in the credits. Never uh... spoke, just arfed. <laughs> That seems like an underutilization of George Clooney's talents. Right? From the start, even Kelly Ray recognized immediately Obi-Wan's voice, Ewan McGregor, uh, from at the top as as Horatio as Cricket. Um, oh, who, yeah. <laughs> whose entire arc in this movie was being crushed, being hurt, being stomped, and then dying. His journey is getting crushed and getting beaten down and trapped and all, getting generally tore up. But his arc is going from a self-centered, totally self-consumed journeyman cricket to <laughs> to someone who is genuinely touched by life's gift and then chooses to give his <laughs> gift to another. Come on, that's you weren't touched. Cricket, not Jiminy, wishes for Pinocchio to come back. Oh, right, and then dies. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Wes, you missed the whole point of... Did you not get the self-sacrifice terrible joy life is a gift message from this movie no if they can drop the war parable they can drop the mystical life affirming you know it was just a coming of age story in a twisted way honestly it was a coming of age it was coming to life one day i'm going to be forced to discuss pan's labyrinth with you and i went to see pan's labyrinth and i was deathly ill as i mentioned in a previous review and i came out of there being like that was the most random thing said you know Mm. i guess the backdrop was the war or whatever but it was Mm. so random and everyone was like visionary and i was like Mm. yep visionary so when pinocchio comes who is it by of course it's visionary director guillermo del toro director of pan's labyrinth co-director Right, but he's the figurehead. I, it seems it just—it's so random to me. It, he's clinging to the the premise and the the plot, I guess, of the original by fingernails. This movie was as random as a dead cricket vo that lasts throughout. And at the end, he's like Pinocchio. You haven't heard from him in a while, and Kelly Ray is like, "That's because you're dead." Like, how do you have vo after you're dead? It doesn't make sense. It's because he was playing. Cards with the rabbits in the afterlife. He was speaking to us from the afterlife. And the misdirect was that he was speaking to us from his memoir. Guillermo del Toro's Beetlejuice. My only fault with Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio is that it was too many things, too many messages. And it probably could have benefited from some focus. But this is a sprawling, epic, stop-motion masterpiece just an enormous undertaking that he had talked about making a million years ago did you know that Guillermo del Toro was originally an animator I mean it doesn't surprise me I always regarded him as a as a creature creator kind of guy I went to see his exhibit at LACMA and and it was just like all of his collect it was his collection and his curios and his work and his sketches and drawings and everything and it was all just creature imagination. To clarify, you're talking about Guillermo del Toro, Mexican writer, director, animator at LACMA and not the Tim Burton exhibit also at LACMA, which was exactly the same. It was definitely Guillermo del Toro. We took Paloma and she was terrified. I would. I, yeah, I don't doubt it. I don't see anything about him that is for kids. It's like Rob Zombie being like, no, I made this one for the kiddos. And you'd be like, yeah, I'm going to check it out first. Let me vet this one. I don't I can't really speak to Pan's Labyrinth. It's been a while. 
but Pinocchio itself is pretty tame. I guess, but also terrifying. Paloma, and also Paloma's a little older, so maybe she can handle it. But she's watched this at least two or three times. And maybe she was scared at points, but she was definitely like, the other day we were talking, I forget what we were talking about on the way to school. Basically out of the blue, Paloma was like, yeah, you know, even eight-year-olds can die. Ten-year-olds can die. And I was like, <laughs> what? Is, this is the single message imparted by Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. That you can lose your child? Yeah, and that a giant to, to a giant fish who also swallows lighthouses. Or you can lose your child to a, bomb, a church bombing. Right, but if you're not going to lose your child to either of those things, you can lose it to the fascist, soon-to-be Nazi party. Or to the, to the circus. And not even a good circus. Yeah, what do they do other than the puppet show? I don't think they did anything. He was really the main act. That was so. Did you know Christoph Waltz, or did you recognize his voice? Uh, I immediately no. I didn't know anything about this movie. I was intensely skeptical and going in, but at least they were almost immediately recognizable voices across the board. I mean, you know, for the for the a few major stars. Sure. Well, Christoph, you, it took me a little while. It wasn't until Count Volpe got particularly theatrical where I was like, wait a second, wait a second. Uh, Christoph Waltz! <laughs> and I was like all proud to have identified his voice. And then after that, I was like, man, how could I have missed that? Right? It's yes. got Christoph Waltz written all over it. Um, while I think he's a great actor and I, I think he's really fun, like he, he infuses a lot of humor into particularly the, the uh, Tarantino roles, which are the sources for his two Oscars. He won two Oscars pretty much back to back, just Quentin Tarantino movies. And kind of the same role. Yeah, right. And those deliveries are very specific and very, dare I say, Christoph Waltz. But he, it's the same here and it's the same when he talks. I've watched a number of interviews with him. He just kind of is. He's like, you know how some people, I guess, are just funny? Like Bill Murray doesn't have to try to be funny to be funny. Or Will Ferrell, he almost tries or to not be funny, right? But Christoph Waltz, when he speaks, it's just it's so him. It's like that one character, uh, Christopher Walken style. Hmm. I like him. I liked everybody involved, you know. But I have trepidation about Guillermo del Toro, whose movies I find generally unpleasant or at least distastefully gross looking. Then mm. it turned into a freaking musical, and I was like, please kill me. Wow. So this just hit all the wrong points for you. Just. Mm. It's not a hardcore musical. See, it's even worse. That middle ground, you can't do a, a serious quote unquote movie. And look, I get that I'm picking on it for the realism and like, that's not believable, but this is a fantasy through and through, right? But still, the nail in the coffin was bursting into song. And if you're going to do it consistently, Frozen style, where every six minutes on average there's a song, fine. You're, commi you're committing to the genre. But if you only have two or three songs, they feel even more out of place. Like having three sore thumbs. I don't... <laughs> I don't get it. So you poo-poo on the disnification and sterilization of stories as put through the Disney machine. And then you poo-poo on exquisite visionary reinterpretation that doesn't have, that's not all shiny and has some of life's grotesqueness imbued into it. And then, and so are you just like not happy? 
in general? <laughs> Just as a person. Um, <laughs> I, you've been using this a lot. I poo-poo this and I poo-poo that. But I, I specifically, I talked about Frozen as a genre just now. And if you recall, I gave Frozen 2, I believe it was a totally. But And I and I like the original Disney Pinocchio. I haven't seen the Disney live action Pinocchio, despite it starring Tom Hanks, who's in maybe one of the broadest and most sustained career slumps, like a Spielberg level career slump that I'm a little bit worried for that dude. But it seemed almost exactly the same. I mean, Pinocchio looks identical in the new version to the old version, which I guess is pretty on brand. But I like Disney's Pinocchio. And while it's not one of my favorite Disney movies, I like, for the most part, the product that Disney puts forth. The same cannot be said for me, for Guillermo del Toro. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse, carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see, we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. In general, but can we talk about, you? so I get that you have problems with his style, his approach, but can you isolate Pinocchio from Pan's Labyrinth and The Shape of Water, which frankly did not hit me either. Like both of those really bounced right off me. But I was all in on Nightmare Alley and I'm pretty in on Pinocchio. Like, can you isolate Pinocchio to talk about it as a piece of work? I mean, this Pinocchio is different. This is Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio in the same way that Bram Stoker's Dracula should have been Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula. Because he's Mm. definitely doing his own thing without regard to the source material necessarily, I suspect. What we have are the benchmarks of the Disney version that are just twisted and different. And I'm not going to say better because they were just different. And it's random and random difference makes Guillermo del Toro, in the minds of a lot of people, a visionary. I'm saying different is not better. And in particular for me, Guillermo del Toro's different is kind of gross. You thought that this Pinocchio was gross. Kinda. I mean, they were pretty sterile and wooden, but they were unpleasant <laughs> to look upon. And the differences that the changes that he made were random enough to me to suggest that it was only slightly off kilter in a way that he put his stamp on it, but not a furthering. It wasn't a bettering of Pinocchio. What? Because we're playing to an audience and he's trying to satisfy me or make me feel the wonder. But all I saw is unvarnished madness in Geppetto. He goes crazy and he makes a demon son. And as much as he loves the JC, he's all about, what is it, idolizing idols or whatever? Idolizing. He makes his son his god. Yeah. And he's insane. Mm. I can see that he's a little crazy and he also doesn't exercise the best judgment throughout this film but are dads benevolent or are dads kind of broken bent and human like he felt like a real dad to me who was basically paralyzed with grief who gets this rare second chance and kind of bumbles that too he was just a dad dude dads aren't benevolent I'm not saying that there's an I have an issue with how these fairy tale characters are flawed in this version. I'm saying that the movie is flawed in the way it's presenting its fairy tale themes in a way that's supposed to move us personally and 
emotionally. The big arc, the wondrous arc, is of Pinocchio, as I recall, is Pinocchio's ever-present goal of becoming a real boy, which when he does, he's totally a real dude and doesn't have the wooden joints or whatever and can play among his schoolmates and be included Whereas this Pinocchio was was kind of the opposite. Like he never looked like a, he never became a real boy. In fact, he was the monstrous apparition representing a dead boy who looked like Michael Jackson, by the way. He didn't. Who did? Carlo. Carlo looked like Michael Jackson? <laughs> yeah. He looked, he was very creepy. And that's why I wrote the Uncanny Valley thing. And mm. then it got, it just got creepier. He was actually more pleasant to look upon as a totally fabricated uh, wooden boy. The, the choice of the wooden character was really interesting, and he's kind of sweet, and I, I can't see how, like, Aqua, dynamically, he can actually swim, let alone, <laughs> like, rescue. Or, or taste. He doesn't have taste buds, but he sure ate foods. <laughs> but he's certainly cute. So that's the thing. He doesn't become a real boy and take on a, the shape of a human, but he's definitely living, and that's the whole point. And it, I think, makes the the themes of acceptance that much more complex. You have to take some leaps, right, for people to accept, for you to accept that people in this world accept magic. But it makes, when he's accepted, all that more, much more powerful. And it makes him more abusable. Like it makes the abuse that he endures with Count Volpe like that much more kind of insidious. I mean, Volpe's got all kinds of go- things going on and Spazitura is all Stockholmian and whatnot. I don't know. I think that the fact that he remains wooden and you see the joints and he's like clunking around all the time kind of adds to and heightens the themes. So we're meant to, the emotionality of Pinocchio is meant to resonate with us. We're supposed to feel his longing for humanness and feel his human pain while he's not human. But you're telling me that Paloma wasn't terrified when he went all spidery and started terrifying Geppetto at the top? He's like, I'm your son. Ah, and it's like flipping around and tearing stuff up. That wasn't scary. He was just excited. No. I mean, maybe. Brian watched it with her. She's watched it a number of times. She likes it. <laughs> I liked it, dude. I think that this movie is an instant classic, and I think that this idea of terrible joy sums up both Guillermo del Toro's approach to filmmaking as it does this movie and kind of life in general. I think it's all very, very tidy, very impactful, and, and it's just master craft making in stop motion. Like, what, a, what an amazing undertaking and achievement in stop motion animation. Really? It was stop motion animation. It's been an unchanged format for a hundred years. What did he do differently? Is it because Paloma's going to listen to this review and you're afraid to trash it? No, I genuinely liked this movie. There was a featurette on the stop motion animation that can speak to the technical stuff way better than I can, but this didn't look like stop motion animation. It was incredibly cinematic, and I'm sure there's lots of visual effects enhancements. But um, stop motion is painstaking. Yeah. And I think that you, you can really see the texture, the quality. If It makes it feel tangible and makes it feel real. And I think it was a good choice for the story content of, of Pinocchio. I won't say that Pinocchio as a concept isn't a good choice for stop motion animation. But I still feel that stop motion animation, if you're going to do it and spend five years doing it in minute increments, frame by frame, that shot 
where they go through the circus for the first time and it's like a wide shot with a bunch of different characters. It took them like three months to animate a few seconds of walking through that circus. That's yep. commitment. And I guess, yeah. if nothing else, Guillermo del Toro has commitment. Well, he also had a co-director who I imagine took a lot of the heavy lift. <laughs> Maybe. Went and got him very special coffees while he labored over the thing because he is definitely the hands-on dude, uh, literally, for Pinocchio. The story went that he was an animator back in the day. He and his, I think, then-girlfriend at the time or whatever, they made like 100 characters for something that they were going to do in animation, like stop-motion animation. And they labored and they had their whole apartment full of this thing and someone broke in and destroyed like 100 puppets. 120 <gasps> puppets? Yeah. And then peed and pooed on the floor. Ew. And yeah, and he was like, oh, that's it. And that set him back like 30 years for, for stop motion animation. He's always wanted to do Pinocchio, but that's not what his original breakthrough puppet production was going to be. But he went to Pinocchio, like in the theater with his mom, and he he told his mom that he loved Pinocchio and that one day he wanted to make Pinocchio and she supported him. And like every other year, she'd send him a little Pinocchio figure for Christmas. And then he said, Mom, I'm making Pinocchio. And she's like, you go, Guillermo del Toro, son of mine. And he started to make it. And then he takes like five or six years to make one of these freaking stop motion things. And then she died right on the eve of the release of Pinocchio never got to see her son come to triumph and you're like that's an amazing inspirational story how he cleaned up the poop and the pee and rebuilt these characters in his mind and, and did a different project and brought his his baby to the screen and i'm like oh man if only it was good well i i just don't get why it's very touching story i just don't get why you think it's not good you said it was gross what, what else makes it not good? The random element that, for me, has always hampered Guillermo del Toro films. Because, man, stop motion animation and animation in general. I guarantee you, without looking, that the Disney live-action version of Pinocchio is not two hours plus. That's a lot of Pinocchio that we had to sit through for this one. It is a lot. Multiple settings for me. And we got like an hour and a half in and I was like, oh, we haven't done the monstro thing. I guess we're going to the sea because it was all war up until that point. Yeah. And then we get a lot of that being eaten multiple times. We dropped the Volpe thing almost entirely, and he, then he miraculously shows up on the cliff after he escapes the fascist prison camp or whatever. It's true. And like, we're picking that up again? All right. And it just went on. For, and look, this wasn't like, okay, we got to get this in so, so we can discuss it. We got to watch this movie. This was like bright and shiny with post-breakfast and nice coffee Saturday afternoon movie club movie. And I was like, now we can start the weekend after it was done. Wow. And did Kelly Ray feel similarly? I don't know how she felt about it, but she we, we voiced a few concerns throughout, and I don't think it's going to be a staple in our home. Brian loves, loves this version of Pinocchio. He was also really into Troll Hunters, which was another Guillermo del Toro animation, albeit 3D. And I think in general likes these kinds of creature features. But, but then I could be influenced the other way because, like I said, Pan's Labyrinth bounce right off of me. I had a colleague who was obsessed with The Shape of Water, loved it, thought it was the best, th you know, the best thing since sliced bread. And I was just like, I, I just don't get it. I found Shape of Water to be pretty gross. And I didn't get wrapped up in the love story. So I have lots of competing feelings about Guillermo del Toro. And maybe there's some like residual Nightmare Alley goodwill, as weird as that film was. 
but I can't, even on a purely spectacle, technical, cinematic level, you cannot give Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio a whatever. And I'm not going to. If someone was like, they came out of their garage and they're all smelly and bearded and they're like, I spent six years on this painting and they open the thing and he like squints because he hasn't seen light in six years and like the rats rush out of the garage to freedom or whatever because they've been shut up in there and you behold it and it's terrible. <laughs> You're like, man, yeah, I can see a lot of work went into this painting or whatever. And, <laughs> and, and like, it's a good story and all that stuff. And he seems so nice and everyone says he's so nice. And I sit down and I'm like, give me a good movie. And then I'm like, oh God, two hours of this Pinocchio. And so I'm not going to give, <laughs> I'm not going to give it a whatever. I'm going to say it Pinocchio. Wait, you are not giving Pinocchio a nope. Pinocchio. Oh. <laughs> Pinocchio gets an all right? Is that what no. you mean? No. <laughs> Pinocchio. No, you are not giving this a note. Oh, God, I was so bored. And I was I like, forbid mm. you. <laughs> Guillermo del Toro has nothing to offer me. I will reluctantly accept your Pinocchio <sighs> and give it and give GDT's Pinocchio a totally. <laughs> oh, my God. Or, or, I will give it, I will myself give it a totally. And that is our, wow, really surprising discussion on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio from 2022 available on Netflix. I don't know that we've had a more polarizing review at or whatever movies or whatever movies.com or whatever movies at gmail.com 818-835-0473. Thank you for listening. I think this is our Christmas movie. You're going to nope our Christmas movie. We got a Christmas movie in the pipe, a classic. Wow. Way to poo poo on people's holidays, Wes. I didn't do it. That's the dude who broke into Guillermo del Toro's workshop and made him into the twisted character you see before you. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Have you ever wondered what actually happens in Congress every day? Stay informed on Capitol Hill's daily happenings with a concise, factual summary of the Senate and House of Representatives activities from the previous session, free from bias, on the Congressional Record Daily Digest podcast. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and discover the process from the heart of U.S. politics. The Congressional Record Daily Digest, an Electric Cast production. Electric Cast. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, that's the No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.